You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open our Bibles to the Scripture reading this afternoon. John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, you'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, but this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. This afternoon our text is the truth of God's Word as it's been summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this, my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall, after this life, possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Beloved congregation, Christ our Lord, it's part of our human nature, and it's often necessary as well, to look ahead to the future. We often think about the days, we think about the weeks and the months that lay ahead of us. Most of us have probably given some thought already to what we plan to do during the summer holidays. Some of us have no doubt already made plans for what we'll be doing in September and beyond, maybe with our work or our families or otherwise. The Catechism also speaks about the future, what we can expect from it as believers and what our attitude should be towards it. Lord's Day 22, we find that characteristic Heidelberg Catechism word, comfort, used twice in connection with the future things. Both the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting are articles of the Apostles' Creed that give us comfort now. Now, things are sometimes tough. Now, we have to deal with the brokenness, ugliness, and messiness of life. 
Now we have to deal with unanswered questions, uncertainty, and sometimes, yes, even doubt. But there is comfort in the face of all that because we know that we have a Savior to whom we belong. We have comfort knowing what He has done in the past. We know that He lived a perfect life of obedience for us. We know that He died on a cross. That He rose again. We know that this was all so that we can be right with God. But yet, as good news as all that is, yet there's still this realization that we're not out of the woods yet. And we're not. The work of the Savior is not yet completely done. In Lord's Day 22, we consider the completion of Christ's work in us and for us. Something that lays in the future. The Apostles' Creed gives us these articles in the context of what we believe about the Holy Spirit. As you may know, there are basically three parts to the Apostles' Creed, and those three parts correspond to the three persons of the Trinity. So the third part can be considered in terms of what the Holy Spirit has done, is doing, and will do. And that's how we're going to consider Lord's Day 22 this afternoon. And so I preach to you God's Word with the theme, The Holy Spirit Completes Christ's Work. And we'll see three things. That He, first of all, fulfills the peace of Christ in our death. Second, that He fulfills the reality of the risen Christ in our resurrection. And then finally, that He fulfills the glory of Christ in our eternal life. Well, some time ago we dealt with Lord's Day 16. And when we did that, we paid special attention one service, to question and answer 42 about our death and why we have to die. Having done that, we can be brief with this first point here this afternoon. We read John 11, and John 11 is a remarkable gospel passage for a number of reasons. And while it doesn't directly tie into Lord's Day 22, I think it's worth mentioning that one of those things is the insight that it gives us into the heart of Christ Himself. The shortest verse of the Bible is found here. And who doesn't find this tender and heartwarming? Verse 35 of John 11, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. We don't know why he wept. We don't know how long he wept. But he wept. The death of his friend Lazarus and the impact that that death had on his friends Mary and Martha and others, it clearly had an impact on him. Touched him. And for us who still mourn and grieve today, That can be a real encouragement. Can we not expect the Savior to be still mourning with us? Should we not expect that the one who has our flesh and blood in heaven continues to shed tears for his people when he sees their hurt, their anguish, how death still touches their lives? 
We have a tender-hearted Savior portrayed here. And we have no reason to believe that changed when He ascended into heaven and sat at God's, God's right hand. Beloved ones, we have a high priest who sympathizes, who understands. This high priest arrives in Bethany after Lazarus had been dead already for four days. Martha went out to meet him. Verses 21 to 27, we find an exchange between the two of them. Martha starts by saying that Christ could have prevented Lazarus' death. But she knows in faith that even now something could be done about it. And Jesus replies to her, your brother will rise again. Martha hears these words and she thinks that he's speaking about the resurrection at the last day and she affirms her belief in that biblical doctrine. Then in verse 25, Christ says these remarkable words. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in Me will never die. Even apart from what follows with the miracle of Lazarus coming back to life, those are incredible words. They're words that speak about the work of the Holy Spirit and the peace of Christ in our death. Because with faith in Christ, death takes on a new face. With faith in Christ, death no longer has the final say. In fact, it's not the end, but it's rather the beginning. It's not a a dead end, a wall. Instead, it is a doorway into something magnificent. It brings one into a life where one will never die. Believing in Christ means that the curse of eternal spiritual death has been removed. And why is that? Because peace with God has been achieved. And all of this becomes ours through faith. The faith, which Ephesians 2 verse 8 tells us, is a gift of God. The faith, which 1 Corinthians 2 tells us, comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked faith in Martha so that she could say, Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. The Holy Spirit worked faith in Lazarus so that he too would not die but live eternally in the peace of Christ. And he also works faith in us. He works faith in us so that when our hearts stop beating, it is well with our souls. Since through the power of the Holy Spirit we believe in Christ, we will share in the peace of Christ in the fullest possible sense. As the Catechism puts it, after this life, our souls will immediately be taken up to Christ our head. That's God's promise to you this afternoon. At that moment, when our earthly life stops, because of what the Spirit has done in us, we will right away know the full measure of peace that Christ came to bring. Here we we only know and we see in part. Then we will know fully. 
The gospel promises us the fulfillment of Christ's peace in our death. It's comforting to believe that, to know that. It's something to look forward to. We can also look forward to the fulfillment of the reality of the risen Christ in our resurrection. The Catechism says that also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. Sometimes we have this idea that somehow our bodies are less than our souls. The ancient Greeks had this idea that the body was the prison house of the soul. The soul was the real man. But the body was just this outer casing. Not really important. Later thinking, even thinking that called itself Christian, even made a sharp contrast between spirit and matter. Some said that matter is evil. So the body is evil. And the body, too, is non-redeemable. But spirit, on the other hand, they said, spirit comes from God. And so spirit is good. The problem is the Bible doesn't agree. It teaches that both body and soul were affected, were both corrupted by the fall into sin. And it teaches us that Christ is the Savior of the whole man, body and soul. The Bible will not let us have any of these false dilemmas between body and soul. Loved ones, the fact of the matter is that the body you have right now, this one that you see in front of you, is the flesh and blood that Christ died to redeem. He came to redeem your soul or your spirit too, for for sure. But also your very flesh and blood, the bones of your body, every single part of you, it all belongs to Him. And at the last day, He will raise it up. He will raise it up perfect and glorified. And we don't know exactly how He will do that. There's mystery here. The Bible doesn't tell us all these little details. We can speculate, but we don't know, for instance, what age our bodies will have the appearance of being. And do we, do we need to know those things? Sure, we want to know, but do we need to know? And we can be content with what God in His perfect wisdom has revealed in His Holy Word. 1 Corinthians 15 clearly reveals that the dead will be raised. 1 Corinthians 15, we find out that human bodies will come out of the ground at the last day. John 5, 28-29 clearly states that both the godly and the ungodly will take part in this general resurrection of the dead. Those who have trusted in Christ will rise again to be reunited with their souls to receive the fullness of eternal life. The bodies of those who did not believe will be reunited with their souls to receive the fullness of the wrath of God and everlasting punishment. Hardly needs to be said that this doctrine drives home the importance of being sure that we are indeed resting and trusting in Christ.
And in this doctrine, we also see the Holy Spirit completing the work of Christ. Romans 1.4 says that the Lord Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us that the Holy Spirit made Christ alive. The Father was involved with that too, but not only the Father, also the Holy Spirit. And then in Romans 8.11, we find out that the Holy Spirit will also be there at that last day when the, the bodies come out of the ground. The Holy Spirit will be there working to give life to our mortal bodies. Romans 8.11. We're told that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us share in Christ's resurrection. And then you can see why we confess in the Nicene Creed that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. Anything to do with life in this world and in the world to come has to do with the Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives life to every created thing in this age and in the age to come. The Holy Spirit, He is the one who will take all the elements of every human body that has ever been laid in the grave and He will bring them all together again so that bones which have long ago turned to dust will miraculously be reconstituted so that all the parts of every human being who has ever lived are, are, are brought together again. Again, we don't know the mechanics of how this will happen. But we have God's Word which promises us that it will. This gives us comfort, hope, and patience as we live in this broken world. Today we have to deal with the weakness of human flesh and blood. We have to deal with the reality that bodies break down. We struggle with illnesses, mental and physical. And truth be told, we get tired of it. And while it isn't the way it's supposed to be, it's normal for this age. But in the age to come, there will be a perfect, glorified existence for all who believe. Believing in Christ and the promises of the Gospel, we know that a better world waits. And the challenge for us is to wait. To wait for the Lord. Wait on the Lord. To take comfort and hope in these promises and simply and eagerly pray for the fulfillment of the reality of the risen Christ in our resurrection. Oh, let's pray that that day would come quickly. The Holy Spirit also completes Christ's work by fulfilling the glory of Christ in our eternal life. That's our third and last point this afternoon. In the 58th question and answer, the Catechism speaks about us already now feeling in our hearts the beginning of eternal joy. Because of that, we can be assured that after this life, we will have unimaginable perfect blessedness. Now already we feel in our hearts the beginning of the beginnings of this eternal joy. Now, how did we get there? How did we get these beginnings of eternal joy? Well, on that question, the Bible is unmistakably clear. Romans fourteen seventeen says it best. 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. There you have it. The Holy Spirit gives us the beginnings of eternal joy. The Holy Spirit gives us this confidence that what we have right now is just a foretaste of what He will fulfill, what He will fill to the full later on. And what He will fulfill is grander than anyone can possibly imagine. Perhaps you've heard of the old English author John Milton. John Milton is most well known for writing two epic poems. One was entitled Paradise Lost, and the other, predictably, Paradise Regained. Now, Paradise Lost is the better known of the two, and it recounts in a poetic way the tragic fall of Adam and Eve. Paradise Regained is a little bit of a shorter poem, though I think most of us would still consider it quite long. And it tells of man's salvation through Christ. Milton was a great author. The title of his second poem doesn't quite capture the reality of what we have in Christ. He called it Paradise Regained. This is often the way that we think about the life everlasting. We simply get brought back to what Adam and Eve had at the beginning. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells us that what we have in the life everlasting will far exceed what we lost through the fall into sin. Scripture says that someday we will reign with Christ. We, we will share in His glory. We will inherit the kingdom of God. Those are riches that Adam never received. Maybe an illustration will help you if you, if you don't get this already. Think of it this way. Imagine a, a doctor with his patient. It's a hypothetical situation. You just have to bear with me if you think it's a little strange. Doctor with his patient. The patient was born only being able to walk. Never been able to run. He doesn't know anything about the joys of being able to run. Nobody has ever told him about running. He's never seen anybody run. It's just completely out of his range of experiences. But lately this man, who was born only being able to walk, lately he can't even walk properly. For some reason he's developed a, a disability in his legs and it just keeps getting progressively worse. In fact, it's to a point where he's now in a wheelchair. So he goes to the doctor. And the doctor is a good doctor. He not only gives a, a treatment that brings the man back to being able to walk, he also does something that allows the man to discover the joys of running. What he received in the doctor's treatment was far greater than what he had lost with his disability. And so it is with us in Christ. The glory of the second Adam far surpasses the glory of the first Adam before his fall. 
And it is the glory of the second Adam that the Holy Spirit promises to give us in our eternal life. And so there you see it. We are far richer in Christ than we can possibly dream of. Now there are two benefits which come from knowing and believing this article of the Creed. At least two. Maybe there are more. Let's just mention two. First, it reminds us that we are pilgrims in a country that is not our own. We're strangers, foreigners. We ought always to remember that this world in which we live, we don't really belong here. The article about the life everlasting can be compared to a postcard. A postcard giving us a picture of our true home. Reminding us of how beautiful our true home really is. Very easy to become comfortable here. Become attached to earthly things that someday will burn up, disappear. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6 says, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Right now, we are away from the Lord in a a real meaningful sense. Someday we will be at home with the Lord. And that's what we look forward to. That's what we have to keep reminding ourselves of. That's the first benefit. The second benefit is patience. The beginning of eternal joy that we have right now through the work and comfort of the Holy Spirit is not yet the full enjoyment of our salvation. It is yet to be completed. We know this also because now we have many struggles with all sorts of temptations. God uses these struggles. He uses them to help us to grow. He uses them to prepare us for eternal glory. When we understand this, and as we go through these struggles... We all do. We won't become discouraged. Instead, we'll patiently turn the eyes of our hearts to the resurrection and the life everlasting. We should patiently and prayerfully wait for the day when our salvation will be revealed in full. Patience. The Lord Jesus said in Luke 21.19, By means of your patience... Possess your souls. And Hebrews 13.14 says, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Now as we look to the future, we look to the fullness, for the fullness of our redemption. We have comfort in knowing that God's purposes and promises, nobody can thwart them, nobody can stop Him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will together work so that all the elect will receive perfect blessedness. And in that perfect blessedness, we will indeed praise God forever. Let us pray. O triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, We thank You 
from our hearts for the precious promises of your holy word. We thank you for the peace of Christ that dwells in our hearts. We praise you that we may know and that we, we can be assured and comforted that when we die, we will immediately be taken into your presence. We thank you for the risen Christ. We praise you that we may know for certain that we too will be raised perfect and whole, that we will be glorified. We thank you for the promise of the life everlasting, that we are promised the glory of Christ our head. Father, please give us more grace that we may be comforted and encouraged by these wonderful promises. Convict us more about our status here as pilgrims. Help us with your Holy Spirit to be patient as we wait for the end of the age. Lord God, we ask that it may come quickly. We earnestly pray for the return of Christ our Savior. and We pray for the fullness of our redemption, that we may be delivered from this broken, ugly, messy world. Lord Jesus, please come quickly. We pray in Christ. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.